I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. This morning we're working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, which contains two of Jesus' most well-known statements, the so-called golden rule to treat others as you would wish to be treated, and this command, judge not. Uh, These are probably two of the most well-known statements, uh, if not just in the teaching of Jesus, but in the whole of the Bible. But I also think they're probably two of the most misunderstood and misapplied statements in all of the Bible. And so let me just say two things about these popular commands before we read our passage together today. First, And we need to be reminded of this as we were reminded last week. Both of these commands are not about how someone becomes a Christian. And yet, if you ask many people today, how, how do you become a Christian? They may very well respond in this kind of language. Well, I try to keep the golden rule. I try to treat people like I would like to be treated. Uh, I'm not judgmental. I don't condemn other people. I... I try to be a good person. But friends, if, if that's the gospel, and if that's how somebody becomes a Christian, then we're all in a lot of trouble because we have failed to treat other people as we would like to be treated, and we have judged and condemned people in our own hearts. And so we need to remember that Jesus is not talking here about how someone becomes a Christian. Rather, these are rules for how Christians are to live who have experienced the grace of God in in their lives. And so remember from the passage last week, uh, love your enemies and show mercy. Remember how that command is grounded by the Lord Jesus? What's it grounded in? It's grounded in the fact that this is exactly how the Father has treated you as one of his children. While you were yet his enemy, he showed his love for you in delivering up his one and only son to the cross. And he has shown you mercy. And today in our passage, don't judge and and give and do good to others. And we should be reminded that this is exactly what God the Father has done in the lives of his children Instead of condemning us, he condemned his one and only son in our place. And he has done his people everlasting good by giving his son for us. That's one thing we need to keep in mind. The second thing I want to say by way of introduction here is that because these statements are so misunderstood in our day, we need to be really careful about defining them with scripture. So, for example, the golden rule should never be twisted to mean that Christ wants his disciples to endorse or to condone sin. You know, um, one can think of our, our president's use of the golden rule in recent months in the whole transgender bathroom debate. Did you, did you hear him use the golden rule in his arguments? It was, well... You want to go into the restroom that, you, you know, that corresponds with uh, your gender, or the gender that you self-identify as, and therefore everyone else should have that right. The golden rule demands it. That was his, 
his argument. But I want to suggest to you that that actually divorces the golden rule from how the Bible defines it. Because the Bible defines the golden rule as based on the principle of loving our neighbor. And loving our neighbor is defined by the commandments of God. That's why in Matthew 22:19, the Lord Jesus can summarize the second part of the Ten Commandments with respect to our neighbor and, and summarize them as, this is how you love your neighbor as yourself. This is how you treat someone as you would like to be treated. And so, yes, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to, to, to love our neighbors, to treat them kindly, to treat them with respect, to treat them justly, to seek their good, indeed their everlasting good, all within the parameters of God's righteous law. Now, as we come to this second statement, judge not, we're going to see that this statement, too, is often misunderstood and misapplied. Before we think about it together today, let's, uh, let's pray and then read our text uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we pray that through this ordinary means of the proclamation of your word, and through uh, this ordinary preacher, that you would do extraordinary things by your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would call sinners to new life in Jesus Christ. And we pray that your disciples today would be conformed to the image of Christ as we ask you to fix our eyes upon our Lord and our Savior. Give us understanding today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, picking it up in verse 37. This is God's word. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher." Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? Is Jesus saying that it is judgmental to make moral distinctions? And we can certainly do it in a judgmental way. 
But is Jesus saying that it is always inherently judgmental to say, this is right, this is wrong? Is Jesus saying that it's wrong to speak truth in the public square? Uh, Is Jesus saying that your life is your business and that the church has no right and that fellow disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ have no right to speak into your life? Is, Is Jesus embracing some kind of moral and theological relativism that says, you believe and do what you want to do and I'll believe what I want to do and practice the religion I want to practice and it will all be fine. Is Jesus saying that in this passage? Well, most certainly not. So what does Jesus mean when he says to his disciples, judge not? My friends, once again, Jesus is, he's meddling with our default settings. Because our default setting as sinners is to be quick to judge and condemn others and slow to forgive and to give to others. You see what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's showing us that as our Savior and Lord, he not only wants to deliver us from the guilt of our sin, but now he is at work in our lives to save us from from all of the ways that sin has distorted us and wreaked havoc in our lives. And so he wants to reverse what sin has done to us in this area of our lives. Instead of being men and women who are quick to to throw the hammer down on other people, he wants us to be a people who are quick to forgive and to love and to show grace and mercy even to the unworthy. And so today, we want to try together to to better understand what Jesus means when he says, judge not. That's going to be the the focus of our attention in this passage. And to try to focus our attention and better understand what Jesus is saying here, I want to give you three summary statements in regard to judging. And here's the first one that we want to think about together. Jesus is saying, judge not because God is the judge judge. Now, when you have a command like this, judge not, and it's well known in our day, and yet it's misunderstood and often misapplied, what's the best thing we can do? Well, the best thing we can do is to go to the scriptures. The best thing we can do is is go to God's word and and ask the question, how how does God define this commandment for us? You remember, friends, that Though the Bible was written over several centuries and written by many different authors, that it has one ultimate author, the Lord himself. And therefore, the Bible is a unified book with a unified message, and it doesn't contradict itself. And so when we want to understand what does it mean, judge not, the best thing we can do to understand that is to go to other passages of Scripture that shed light on this statement And so when we take the rest of the teaching of Scripture into consideration, what we see very quickly is Jesus is not giving us some kind of unqualified blanket statement about not rendering judgment. Indeed, as we'll see here in a moment, God calls us in in all kinds of ways to pass judgment, to evaluate, 
to, to render judgment in our lives. And so we need to think hard together about how do we hold these two commands together to, on the one hand, judge not, and then on the other hand, to render judgment. Think about a few examples with me. Actually, you don't even need to turn the page in your Bibles to see an example of this, because in the passage we just read, what does Jesus say in verse 42? After you've removed the log from your own eye, in a loving and grace-filled way, you are to seek to help your brother remove the speck from his own eye. And friends, that requires some degree of, of evaluation and indeed judgment. But Jesus explicitly tells us to judge in John chapter 7, uh, verse 24. In John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus is making a very, a very helpful distinction for us to keep in our minds between superficial judgment and right judgment. And he says we must exercise right judgment. That is judgment that is in accord with God's word. But we are not to judge merely on the basis of appearances, superficial judgment. We're not to judge on the basis of our own standards, but instead we are to judge with right judgment. Judgment according to the word of God. You see, friends, our tendency and our problem is that we are prone to make hasty judgments. I haven't used a Lord of the Rings illustration for a long time, so I might as well just throw one in today. You know, we need, we need a tree beard in our lives when it comes to judgment, don't we? Don't be hasty, because what we do is so often we make these superficial assessments of someone's beliefs or practices, and then we, we, uh, we make the verdict. We condemn them. Uh, we pass judgment on them as though we were on the throne. And Jesus is saying, do not make superficial uninformed judgments of, of others. But Jesus not only tells us to avoid superficial judgment, he, he, he's applying this in John 7 to, to theological issues. In John chapter 7, Jesus is telling us to make right judgment with regard to doctrine. Another passage we could go to is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where John tells us to test the spirits. Why? Because there are many false teachers in the world. And John says to, to weigh their teaching, to test their teaching, to see, is it in accord with God's word? Are they saying what God's word says about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel? Because if not, then those teachers are to be rejected themselves. But God expects us to make judgment and evaluations, right judgments, not only in the area of theology and doctrine, but actually, literally, in every area of our lives. The Bible calls us to make ethical evaluations in our lives. And so, familiar passage, Philippians 4, verse 8, where Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
See what Paul is saying? Paul is saying we must make discerning judgment in every area of life. And we must do so to dwell on those things that honor the Lord. You see, Paul is giving you a, a, a filter that helps you discern and evaluate everything in your life. Use of social media, the TV and movies you watch, the music you listen to, the books you read, the conversations you engage in. He's saying we are not to be passive and dwell on anything that comes into our lives, but rather we are to make right judgment, right evaluation according to the word of God. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent and praiseworthy? If so, dwell on these things, Paul says. And so the Bible calls us to make evaluations and indeed judgments in every area of life. We are called to bring every area of our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that means we are to bring all of our lives under the lordship of Christ's word. So we need to render judgment in matters of theology and and moral issues. And indeed, we could extend that to social issues. Proverbs tells us to make judgments for the poor and the oppressed. As we go on here, but what we want to focus on here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about a kind of judgment that we must avoid. And clearly, it must be something different than the judgment or the right judgment that he speaks of of elsewhere. So what is it? I think Jesus is warning us against what we might call a, a judgmental spirit. It is when we make the move from making right judgment to assuming the role of the judge. It is when we set ourselves up and our opinions and our standards as the measure by which everyone stands or falls. It is when we have a critical spirit where instead of seeking to build one another up, we are more focused on tearing others down to build ourselves up. This is what Jesus is getting at here. And here I think we need to watch ourselves because as sinners, we can, we can so easily try to put ourselves in the place of God who alone is the judge. But frankly, we do a very poor job of it because while God is true and just in all his judgments, we so often make false and unjust judgments of others. And so you see, Jesus is saying we must avoid uh, being judgmental. We can so easily put other people underneath our standards and and our opinions, and and condemn them when they do not conform to our every opinion. And so we can so easily move from making right judgments according to the word of God to placing ourselves in the place of God. And when we do that, we also begin to condemn others with this judgmental spirit. Jesus This is what I want you to to think about for a moment, too. Jesus is giving this instruction in the context of disciples relating to one another. To brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and their relations to one another. 
And I think, I think in, our, in our Reformed context, as Reformed Christians, this is a word that we need to hear again and again and again. Rightly, we care about theology and ethics. Rightly, we want all of our lives brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Rightly, we want everything we do as a church to be informed by the Word of God. But we are wrong when we cross the line to condemning other brothers and sisters in Christ to, uh, to toot our own horns. You see, when we begin using truth as a tool to tear others down and to build ourselves up, we have compromised our theology, dear friends. And I, and I, and I think we also need to remind ourselves, above all people, if, if our theology has worked its way from our head to our hearts, we should be the last people with a judgmental spirit and a condemning heart. So let's make sure we understand what the Bible is teaching us about judgment. We are indeed called to make right judgments. We are to make judgments according to the word of God in matters of, of theology and, and, and ethics. Indeed, all of life because we want all of our lives brought under the lordship of our Savior. Truth matters, theology matters, our conduct matters, and therefore, and this is something we need, some of us need to hear, it is not wrong to make right judgment according to the word of God regarding these things. But it is wrong when we cross the line from right judgment to judgmentalism. It is wrong when we cross the line from evaluation to condemnation. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, it may seem like a subtle thing, but that's because it so often is. Jesus is addressing the attitude of our hearts here. And he wants us to understand that there is, there is a vast difference between right judgment and judgmentalism. A vast difference between evaluation and condemnation. When we are seeking to render right judgment, we are trying to conform our beliefs and our practices to the word of, of God. But when we are being judgmental, we condemn others to show how we are right, how we've got the right theology, we've got the right morality, we've got the right church practices. When we are seeking to make right judgment, it is God-centered and God-honoring. But when we are engaging in judgmentalism, it is self-centered and self-honoring. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is forbidding for his disciples. He wants us to make biblical evaluations. He calls us to make rational, biblical, grace-filled evaluations. And to even do that with respect to the teaching of others. But he's warning us against judging and condemning others, of having a critical spirit, a prideful and arrogant spirit that would use and abuse the truth to build oneself up. And you see in this passage, instead of a judgmental and critical spirit, Jesus wants us to have a forgiving and giving spirit. So there are two negative commands, do not judge, do not condemn, and then these two positive commands, forgive and give and give and give. You see the contrast in, in what Jesus is trying to work into our lives and in, in our hearts. 
Because too often we're quick to judge and condemn and slow to forgive and to bless. But Jesus calls us to have a heart that is quick and ready to extend grace. A heart that is ready and quick to give and to keep on giving. And so Jesus tells us to judge not, and you see there's a very clear reason undergirding everything Jesus is saying here. What's the big idea that's in the background of what Jesus is saying? It's simply this. You are not the judge. God is. There is a judge, and it's not you, and it's not me. There is one who is on the throne, and it's not you, and it's not me. There is one who has the authority to condemn, and brothers and sisters, it's not us. And so Jesus says, judge not, because you are not the judge, God is. And then secondly, he tells us in this passage, judge not because God will apply the same measure to us that we apply to others. Now, there are, I think, two dimensions to what Jesus is saying here, a positive and a negative dimension. When he says what he says in verse 38, if you look at it, he says, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying that the same standard you use to judge and condemn others, if that's what you spend your days doing, that same standard will one day be applied to you by the judge. And we need to understand that when we apply a standard or a measure to other people and we judge them, we are revealing a knowledge that we have. We are revealing a knowledge of a standard, a knowledge of, of a measure. And, and what we need to understand is that even by our own standards, we cannot stand. After all, how many times have we established a standard and then failed to keep our own standards? You know, kids respect your mother, and then right in front of the kids, we disrespect her and mistreat her. Or homosexuality is a sin while we lust in our hearts or behind a closed door in front of a computer screen. Or abortion, it's murder! And then we harbor bitterness and anger in our own hearts against a brother or sister in Christ for whom Christ shed his own blood. So on the basis of our own standard, if this is how we expect to stand before the Lord one day, we stand judged, we stand condemned. And this is the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. If you want to look at those verses with me. Paul says in Romans 2, 1 through 3, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. And so Jesus is warning us that if we assume the role of God as judge and condemn others, that God will one day hold us accountable to those very same standards. And before the throne of judgment, we will be found out 
we will not be able to stand against the very same measures that we applied to others. And so, friends, what do we need? Well, we need, we need forgiveness. We need God's grace. We need, we need God to give us something that we do not ourselves possess. And my friends, that's exactly what he does in the gospel. It's what he does through the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives the unworthy. He gives us what we do not possess in and of ourselves. The righteousness that we need to be reconciled to God. You see, in the gospel, the Father freely gives us what we need. Forgiveness and reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ And Jesus is saying now, the way that you treat others is to be a reflection of the mercy that you have received in Jesus Christ. But then there's a second dimension to what Jesus is saying about measure for measure. And it's it's a positive dimension. In fact, this is what Jesus emphasizes in this passage when he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And you go to the market and get some grain and the merchant pours it into a basket, presses it down, shakes it up so it settles and it's still pouring over into your lap. He's, he's giving in abundance. It's like going to a, a farmer's market and uh, asking Paul for a pound of cheese and he gives you five pounds in, in return. Maybe not a good business practice. But Jesus is saying... But this is how the Father in his grace relates to his children. He, he freely gives. He's, he's unnecessarily gracious to us. And so we understand he, he blesses his disciples when they show forgiveness and grace to others. He is gracious to the gracious and generous to the generous. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel text where, you know, if you do these things, God's going to bless you in these kinds of ways. So just get that out of your heads. Rather, Jesus is saying that as we seek to live according to his word, our heavenly father is going to pour out grace upon grace and be abundantly generous to his people. Perhaps, yes, in his ordinary providence in our lives, but if not in this life, then certainly in the measureless joy of heaven. And so this word is meant to encourage us as we seek to obey the Lord here, And Jesus is saying we are not to judge because we are not the judge. And secondly, we are not to judge because we will be condemned by the same measure we use on others. And then thirdly, we must first and foremost judge ourselves or evaluate ourselves. Uh, Look at verses 41 and 42 with me. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And here Jesus is talking about how we are to relate to one another. And he gives this this comical illustration. Here's this individual saying to his brother, hey, there's this little little speck of sawdust 
in your eye. Let me help you with that. Meanwhile, there is a log protruding out of his own eye. And friends, this isn't just a little two-by-four that Jesus is talking about. The Greek word is, is a word for, for a beam that holds up an entire building. Right? The image is meant to be ridiculous. And Jesus is trying to, to tell his disciples that we have, we have a knack for being able to see the small sins in the lives of others and the amazing ability to completely be blind to our own sin. We, we maximize the sins of others and we minimize our own. And we have 20-20 uh, vision, or perhaps even better than that, when it comes to seeing the sin in the lives of other people, but we're blind at times when it comes to our own sin. And Jesus has a word for that in this passage, doesn't he? It's called hypocrisy. He's saying we are in danger of hypocrisy whenever we pretend that we are not guilty of log-sized sins while we put the sins of others under the, the microscope. That we are in danger of hypocrisy whenever we say someone else is the problem, someone else is at fault, someone else needs to change, not me. We are, we are in danger of hypocrisy when all we want to do is focus on the faults of someone else and not acknowledge our own. And we are in danger of hypocrisy when all we want to do is try to fix someone else's sins and not tend to our own. You know, we say they're the one with the issues. They're the one with the problems. They're the ones who have made this mess they're the ones who need to change and meanwhile there's this gigantic plank sticking out of our own eyes and Jesus says that's hypocrisy and we're all guilty of it in one way or another so how does Jesus help us he wants to help us here so he tells us first and foremost judge yourselves uh, stop focusing on the sins of others and Focus on yourself because it's only when you've learned to deal with your own sin that you will be enabled by the Lord to help others with theirs. Now, let me just make three quick summary statements with regard to these couple of verses. Three things here. First, I think this is the main idea here. Our problem is that we are quick to identify the faults of others without seeing our own. I think that's the big idea here and what Jesus is saying. Uh, we, have, we have great eyesight when it comes to the sins of others, but we're often blind when it comes to our own. And we need to understand that this, this impacts our relationships. This impacts how we, we see things in our relationships. This impacts our relation to others. That we have the, the vision of a hawk when we are looking down at the sins of others, but when it comes to our own, we're blind as bats. And, and, and so if we find ourselves constantly critical of others, but rarely critical of ourselves, if we are constantly pointing out the, the faults that, hey, that, that, that's their problem, that's, that's their sin, that's their fault, but never admitting our own, then we need to hear what Jesus is saying in this passage. Jesus is saying, 
that we must major on our own sins and not the sins of others. Uh, Secondly, another thing I think Jesus is saying in this passage to us is that our sin is bigger than we realize. Our sin is always greater than we at first recognize or first thought. And so we should see then the, the sins of our spouse, the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the sins of others as small compared to our own. And we should see our own sin as much bigger and more serious than we realized. You know, Jesus wants our default thinking to be when it comes to conflicts. I'm the one with the log in my eye. I'm the one with the plank. And so we need to start thinking about how, how does this apply to me? You know, is there conflict in your marriage? Is there conflict between you and a brother and sister in Christ? Another believer? My friends, Jesus is saying it will not help the situation and it will not bring glory to God if our thinking simply is they're the one with the problem. They're the one that needs to change. They're the one that needs help. Now I know, I know some of you are, have been or are in situations where a person has sinned against you and their sin is, is great. And we do not want to minimize that at all, how, how you've been hurt and harmed by someone else's sin. But how's Jesus helping us here? How can we approach that situation with, uh, with humility and a willingness to admit the greatness of our own sin? I think it's by realizing that our sin against God is always greater than others' sins against us. Friends, if we, if we think that the sins of others committed against us are greater than the sins we have committed against God, then frankly, we have, we have failed to understand the weightiness of our sin. We, we need to realize that it is for our sin that Jesus Christ had to come and die. We we need to realize that it is our sin that nailed the Son of God to the tree. We need to realize that our sin problem is that serious. And if we really get that in our hearts, then we will stop maximizing the sins of others and minimizing our own, and we will be ready to confess, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. And we must be ready to say with Paul that I am the chief of sinners. This is just popping into my head, so forgive me if I get the facts wrong. Was it G.K. Chesterton who was asked a question? I think he was contributing to a newspaper or something like that. And the question was, what's the problem with the world? You've heard this illustration before probably. Asked various scholars, professors, professionals, what's the problem in the world? And some wrote back with full essays. G.K. Chesterton replied with, I think, two words and said, I am. That needs to be our thinking, dear friends. And third, if, if we want to help others, Jesus is saying, then we must first be ready to deal with our own sin. You see, though, this is an important thing to recognize. Our sin does not disqualify us from helping one another. But we first must deal with our own logs 
before pointing to the specks in the eyes of, of others. And friends, Jesus is talking about disciples again. This is, this is what our church is to be, a group of people who have, have learned to major on their own sin instead of focusing on the sins of others. And this is what a, a church is to be about, that, that we would seek out the insights and the, the edifying words from brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a, as a family of God that loves one another, we seek to help one another overcome sin. Our gut reaction when a brother or a sister challenges us from, from, with a word from the Lord should not be recoiling. It should not be offense. It should be gratitude. Because this is, this is a structure that God has put in our lives. This is one of the reasons God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help one another overcome sin, to mortify the flesh, to put sin to death, and to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And most important of all, as, as we seek to do this, I passed over these verses, but Jesus says we must follow him. We must follow him, sticking close to his example and, and living by his generous grace. We're called in this passage to be like our teacher and our savior. What, is it, what does it mean to be like our, our teacher He's pointing us back to the gospel, friends, because Jesus sees you as you really are. He sees all the logs and specks included. And Jesus, in his holy purity, could have judged and condemned each and every one of us. But instead, what has he done in the gospel? Instead, he has come to this earth in our flesh to stand in our place, to bear our condemnation, to offer us the forgiveness that we do not deserve, but that he freely gives. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, my dear friends, our Heavenly Father has given an eternal gift to us. He has done his people everlasting good. And now the Lord Jesus in these verses calls us to be like him. And by his grace, may it be so in our lives, and in this church. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that your word today would not fall upon deaf ears, but ears that have been opened by your spirit and hearts that have been prepared to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, we indeed would be a people who are quick to forgive and and to give to others because of how you have forgiven and given to us in the gospel. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.